Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Tower cleared. Welcome to the Space 3D Podcast. We conclude our interview with Rand Simberg, a self-described recovering aerospace engineer. In this episode, Tom Hill and I ask Rand about his thoughts concerning a new space race, President Trump's Space Force, the Outer Space Treaty, and why he hates the Moon versus Mars debate and the term space exploration. Here's a question. Is there any geopolitical thing that you see on the horizon that would reignite a real legitimate new space race? And I also wanted to get your thoughts about the space force that's been announced. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, well, let's not get that's, controversial or anything. That's the I mean, yeah, that that oh, my God, was to the latter. The, the first first question. Um well, one of the, my other current projects actually is figuring out what are we going to do about space resources, right? That's that's actually a hot topic. I was actually at the legal subcommittee meeting at Committee uh, for the Outer Uses, uh, Peaceful Uses of Outer Space in Vienna in April, uh, trying to understand the uh, get the lay of the land there in terms of and, and there you can see the battle lines being drawn. So I, I mean, it's some, but in terms of uh, I, I understand the relationship between your two questions. Uh, there has been so much nonsense promulgated about Space Force, partly because, you know, Trump just, anything Trump steps into, it's going to generate a lot of controversy about it. And uh, and it's derailed a lot of useful stuff. Uh, the idea, the original idea was we figured, well, we'll have a, a Space Corps within the Air Force. And, and Coyote Smith has been pushing that for a while. Uh, but then, you know, Trump heard about Space Force, and all of a sudden it was all Space Force. And now the you know, Pentagon has to salute and say, "Okay, here's the Space Force." But even though it's probably premature, we just we just wanted something, some way for the space people at the Pentagon to have a little bit more independence, not be always be the redheaded stepchild of the fighter jocks, you know, not you know, actually be able to have a little bit more control over their own budgets. Instead of you know having their their space budgets robbed you know for the next overrun on an F thirty five, so that was the original idea. But now, but there's just been everybody you know people completely ignorant about it, including even people some people in the space journalism community thought that this is some radical new thing. And all of a sudden, we're going to have war in space, and we're going to have Star Wars, and you know we're going to have Marines in space, and all this. And all all it really is is just giving a little bit more autonomy to the blue suits who are currently doing space, you know, and, and, and it's a recognition that we have been at war in space, uh, in a one-sided war for quite a few years. And it's just, we haven't been fighting, you know, it's just been, you know, the Chinese and, and Russia. Uh, so it's, it's just a recognition that we need to get, be a little bit more proactive than we've been and be, and be ready for a space Pearl Harbor because that's probably coming. But but nothing that's been proposed is a violation of the Outer Space Treaty, which basically only prohibits weapons of mass destruction in orbit and military bases on celestial bodies, which would include the moon, even though celestial body is not actually defined in the, in the Outer Space Treaty. 
No, I don't know if that was helpful. You're right. I did was kind of linking the two together, and I was curious about what the real reality was. But I guess to your first question, I'd say it's hard. There may be something, but I don't know what it would be. Uh, I don't. I, I guess no. I don't see a space race uh, uh, like the one in the sixties, where we and our race, we as the United States, are racing another country to say Mars. I don't see that happening. And and again, people don't understand just what a unique situation Apollo was. It's never going to happen again. It almost didn't happen the first time. And stop trying to make it happen again. You know. At, I did a you know a YouTube video with back when extra normal you could actually do these little you know uh, animations. That's right. You wrote a script and you said yeah. you describe whatever you wanted to make the uh, right. gestures and things. Yeah, and I, and I wish I could still do that because they, if they went out of business and nobody's can come up to replace them. But I, it was like uh, I called it you know I want to do Apollo again. I just I just say stop trying to do Apollo again because it's not it's not it's un-American. Okay, Apollo was un-American, and I and I wrote a lo- I just wrote it. I wrote an essay uh, a couple of years ago, like say, letting go of Apolloism, and why you cannot expect that NASA is going to, uh, you know, do such a thing in, or any country in in a representative democracy with elections every two years. It's just not going to happen. So stop trying to make it happen. Accept the fact. Let's do America. Let's do space the American way. And we're seeing that with Elon and Bezos and Bigelow and to a lesser extent, you know, Branson uh, and Yuri Milner, who's a Russian, but he's doing it the American way, which is, you know, you, you raise money and you figure out a way to make money at it and you go out and you do space. But part of that, which is my other project, which is a completely other topic, is how do we make the Outer Space Treaty friendly to English common law and the solar system? Ooh, sounds like another interview possibility. No, I'm happy to do it. It's uh, it's actually I'm kind of in the, I'm going to to Luxembourg on Sunday. Ooh, and the and I'll, and then there's a meeting, a face to face meeting of the Hague Space Resources Working Group at the same venue. You know, two days after the New Space Europe conference. So that's what I'm doing right now. Excellent. So when you're not uh, fighting, prepping for hurricanes and uh, move flying back and forth between California and Florida, you're doing things like that. Yes. Yeah. I was say I was in Vienna in the, in the spring and not just Vienna. I stopped and stopped in London for a couple of days and I had a meeting and, and, you know, we're trying to develop actual multilateral agreements with other countries, including Luxembourg, including the UK, including, you know, maybe Australia. Uh, anybody who wants to join in Japan, uh, you know how how do we recognize property rights in space? That's important because it's because that's about space development. It's not about space exploration. You know, exploration is you know prospecting and doing the assaying, but you know, space development is you're actually going to be mining, and in order to do that, you have to have property rights, real property rights, like real real estate, like with real titles that you can borrow against, that you can sell, that you can pass on to your kids, that you have mineral rights on. And a lot of people think the Outer Space Treaty prohibits that, but I do not, and many others in the space legal, at least the American space legal community, do, do not. And I've been, in fact, been working with with you know Mark Sundahl, and and uh, you know just got the uh, uh, 
School of Air and Space Law at the University of Mississippi involved, and they're, they they want to help. Lots of possibilities if the safety reviews will just let us get off the ground. So I yes. would assume that you're pretty agnostic with regards to uh, Moon or Mars. I mean, that's one of the common arguments you hear in the community. Oh, I hate I hate that argument. That is so such a stupid argument because it it, it implies that. Uh, you know, there was a. Uh, I, I went to you know I went to the uh, economist meeting in Seattle about a year ago. You know the the economist the magazine, they call it a newspaper, but we call it a magazine. I set up a space meeting and 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 so and then they sponsored they sponsored a debate, moon or Mars or neither. Okay, and and it's a a false choice based on a false premise. Uh, it assumes. That this is going to be a collective thing. Again, it's Apolloism. It's going to be a collective decision. We're going to have, you know, the president's going to make a speech, and that's what the nation's going to do. We're going to often do it, and and uh, it's not going to be. It's the, uh, you know, it's, you don't have to choose. Some people are going to go to the moon. Some people are going to go to Mars. Some people are going to go to other places like Ceres, and most people are going to stay home because. You know, let's be honest, people who want to live on other planets are mutant weirdos. Right. Most people would rather stay at home. Yeah. I mean, you know, most people historically don't never don't go more than, you know, 10 miles from where they were born. So this whole notion that they're that we that this is some kind of societal choice is just nonsense. And and yes, I'm agnostic. Jeff Bezos is agnostic. Mm -hmm. Elon's obsessed with Mars. But, you know, Bezos, just, Bezos is an O'Neillian. And I highly I recommend my latest article in the New Atlantis where I talk about all the vision. It's called The Return of the Space Visionaries because it talks about Elon and, and Bezos and of how the fact we're actually returning to that time when we had all these visions of space and, you know, we were hoping to achieve them and all these visionaries uh, until things got screwed up by Apollo. And we're finally returning to that now where it's happening privately. Alex McDonald has a has a great book called The Long Space Age. It talks about how the fact up until the end of World War II, almost all space science, which at that time was basically observatories, were privately funded. They were not government funded. Percival you know, Lowell, yeah. Lowell and Lowell Observatory and and Lick and and uh, and uh, yeah. the one in Wisconsin, Yerkes. You know, Charles Yerkes was a, he was a monopolist in Chicago. He was just basically was trying to resurrect his reputation, you know, by giving money to the University of Chicago to build this observatory up in Wisconsin. Right. And, and, and Hale, you know, Hale went out and he raised money for all these telescopes. And the last one that he, that he did was on Palomar and it saw first light in 1947. And since then, most, most has been government funded, but there's no intrinsic reason for it to be. And and now we're seeing private space exploration. Like I say, Yuri Milner wants wants to send a mission to Enceladus, and that's more likely to happen than Europa, particularly now the Culverson's not congressman because he's interested. You know, the ocean moons are interesting. You know, we've learned so much, and now we need to go out and start exploiting those resources. But of course, there are people that think that uh, you know humans are evil, and we need to be confined. Uh, they're a cancer that needs to be confined to this planet on which we evolved. So that's the next big battle coming up. Yeah. But, and that's part of my Outer Space Treaty stuff. But that's, that battle is going to be waged at Kapios and other places. And, and it's being uh, being discussed at the Hague Working Group.
because they're trying to figure out how do we how do we use space resources. And some people don't want to do it in any way other than under the moon agreement where we set up this this uh, regime that will decide how to distribute the wealth. And, of course, when you set something up to distribute the wealth, you don't create the wealth. Right. You're not creating anything uh, anything new, just going with what's there. Uh, is there similarities to uh, Antarctica in this in this case? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Okay. Uh, because the the Outer Space Treaty was modeled on the Antarctic Treaty, but you'll notice there hasn't been a lot of development in Antarctica. No. There are resources there, but we're not utilizing them, and 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 that's a very terrible. Antarctica is a terrible press, and I I see people at NASA using it. Oh, it'll be like Antarctica. It'll be research. No, it won't. Well, if it is, it, we'll never do anything useful in space. Um. No, we need it, it, despite the fact that the treaties are similar and they came, you know, the, the Outer Space Treaty was modeled on the Antarctic Treaty. We need to properly interpret uh, the OST in such a way as to allow space development. And and the current administration, uh, under the tutelage of Scott Pace, uh, is fully on board with that. You know, he, he the, the, the current administration position is that the OST is permissive. Uh, with regard to this sort of thing. So so the challenge here is to work out some multilateral agreements and develop some norms uh, so that we can do that. Well, we've certainly meandered a bit. Do you have a, uh, a summary statement you'd like to put together related to, related to safety? Yeah, and part of it is stop trying to do Apollo again. Stop thinking that that's the paradigm, that's the model for how we open up space because it was the model for how we... We beat the Soviets at something that could have been racing to the bottom of the ocean instead, and it ended up, you know, kind of uh, setting things in concrete for the past 40 years that we're only finally starting to break out of because we finally have people doing things in space for the right reasons and not the wrong ones. And and when and when you're doing things for the right reasons, you're going to decide how much risk are you willing to take. I have a couple other quick questions, if I, if I may. Other agencies, how do they, uh, have you had dialogue with other, you know, ESA, Canada, Japan, and granted a lot of them are sort of semi-beholden to NASA, but um, do they have any different attitudes regarding safety that uh, differ from NASA, or are they pretty aligned? I think they're pretty aligned. I haven't, I haven't talked to them. I, don't, I, I, I find it a waste of time to talk to other government space agencies, to be honest. Because space agencies are model themselves on NASA because they see it as a paradigmatic space agency, right? We don't, we don't need governments don't need space agencies. If they're serious about space, they need, they should give it to the equivalent of their Department of Commerce. We should give it to our you know, equivalent of the Department of Commerce. And, and in fact, Wilbur Ross is very, assuming I don't know how long he's going to have his job, but he's very interested in space. Space is very into it. And Kevin McConnell is the head of the office, the commercial space office at Commerce. And, you know, he gave a very interesting speech at the Satellite Servicing Conference uh, in D.C. a week and a half ago. So, but but we, okay, here's the, okay, I, you know, I told her I hate space exploration. Here's the other thing. We need to sever, completely sever, not completely, but for the most part, sever the connection between space and science. Space is not about science. Stop thinking that space is about science. That's very interesting. I, I love your viewpoints because they're, they make so much sense, but at the same time, they're, you know, pretty contrarian at, at first blush. Well, they're, yeah, they're totally heterodox. They don't, because it, 
because people are stuck in all the mindsets from the 60s. They think, again, they think Apollo was normal and for, oh, could only return to that normal. Well, there's a reason we haven't returned to it because it wasn't normal. It was, a, it was a weird historical anomaly that almost didn't happen. If, if Kennedy had lived, it wouldn't have, we wouldn't have walked on the moon. Well, to that point, do you think there was anything good that came out of Apollo? Yeah, yeah, there was a lot good. But, but what I've tried to point out is there was a yeah. lot bad, too. No, we, we learned we learned a lot from Apollo. We learned that, you know, you wouldn't sink 50 feet into the yeah. dust when you landed on the moon. That was useful. We learned what the moon is made out of. We got the rocks. We learned how to navigate in space. We learned some basic things that we needed to learn. And those are all valuable. But it's important to recognize that we learned a lot of wrong things from Apollo. Yeah. yeah they keep trying to do Apollo to Mars. They're not going to do Apollo. To, you know, stop. Just stop trying to do Apollo. That was that was my last Kickstarter project. In fact, that's how that's where the the long rant on Apolloism that I wrote came. came. Not not the one on the New Atlantis. That was an edited version. You know, by the editor. You know, sober. You know, added some sobriety to it. But I had a very long rant calling uh, Apolloism the title. You know, so Google Apolloism. Um, but but basically, it, and it was you know how it all, again it started how how is SL, SLS is not the road to Mars it's the roadblock to Mars. I even had a logo with the with SLS lying on its side you know on a road to Mars, you know with safety tape in front of it. Um, so just stop trying to do Apollo to Mars. Stop trying to do Apollo again. Let's do space the way Americans would have done space if we hadn't been in the middle of a cold war yeah well i want to thank you rand i, I really enjoyed this conversation yeah yeah well i enjoyed having it too and uh hope other no, people this was find great it i appreciate it I, I definitely learned a lot uh so thank you for your time thank you for joining us on our space 3d podcast we'll be taking a quick break over the end of year holidays but we'll be picking up again in January 2019 with some very interesting interviews. For Emily Carney and Tom Hill, this is Eleonora Rangers wishing you a happy holiday season from Space 3D.